And, and part of it was, is, is if you'll recall, if you were here then, um, it was the, the expectations that I wanted you to have of me as a pastor, but also expectations that I had as you, or had for you as, as the church. And, and one of them was is that I wanted to blow Pareto, Pareto's principle out of the water. And, and that simply, Pareto's principle is that um, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I'm thinking with this Easter event, we may have pulled that off. We may have far surpassed that because it took so many people to get it done. But that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And it's unfortunate that Pareto's principle actually applies to churches as well. Organizations, uh, companies, <laughs> to some degree, you know, that those, those people are really pulling a lot more of the weight. And so, um, again, thank you for your faithfulness and stepping forward for that. We do want to find a place for everybody to serve, not just for events, but just week in and week out ministry. We want people to find places to serve. The scary thing with doing um, an Easter event, a community event like we did, and, and we were just the hosts, again, a lot of people contributed to it, is that we shared the gospel message with a lot of people. Yes, we had 52 kids, but those 52 kids came with parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And so a lot of people heard the gospel message. And, and if you weren't here last week, you're, you're not sure what that looked like. We had seven different stations set up. And at each station, they heard a little piece of the gospel message outside of um, the, the photo booth. But um, they were hearing a piece of the gospel message. And they always heard Jesus is alive at the end of each station. And so then after all of those stations were done, they came into the sanctuary here. And because they had collected puzzle pieces at each station, they came in here after all the stations were completed, and they received a couple more puzzle pieces here as Don shared the whole story with them again. So they heard it a second time. And she had them doing the actions and stuff like that, so it was very engaging for the kids. And then we had them put their puzzles together. And there was a reason we wanted to have them put their puzzles together. One is we wanted them to make sure that they had all of the pieces. We didn't want kids going home with lacking pieces to their puzzle. But the other reason that we had them put the puzzle together is we wanted them to see the big picture. And, of course, the big picture was a picture of Jesus on their puzzle as they put it together. Well, that's kind of how things are with Scripture is that we collect little pieces of the puzzle along the way. But when we do an event like we did and we're sharing the gospel message, it can be dangerous territory because the enemy isn't happy when that happens. And I thought once we got past the event, everything would just kind of keep rolling along. We had had many, many people. I couldn't even tell you how many people that were specifically involved with the Easter event that ended up having a physical thing happen to them during that time frame. It was just crazy. Every time I turned around, somebody else was kind of being taken out of the game, so to speak, because of a physical ailment. Well, let's face it. That's telling us something. 
That's telling us the enemy wants to stop what it is that we're doing. And I thought maybe once we got past the Easter event, everything would just, again, sail right along. It didn't. Last week was crazy. Didn't really settle in until about Thursday for me. At least it was Thursday when I finally started to become a little bit aware of it. Um, I had lots of opportunity throughout the week to be resentful, to be bitter, to be offended. And I thought, my goodness, where is this all coming from? Well, we know where it all comes from. The enemy, um, the evil one, he doesn't want us as a church to move forward. And, and so with that, then Thursday came along, and, and I'm feeling exhausted. And I felt pretty good Monday through Wednesday, but now Thursday comes and I'm exhausted. And, and it's like, okay, I'm just going to get this message put together. Next week's even crazier. Just hang on. We're going to get through this season. Well, it was rough. Because I'd go from being exhausted to, okay, God, this is what you want me to say, to I can't put the pieces together. It's not making sense, to... And most of you have picked up by now that I usually have this nice, neat pile of papers, the manuscript. I like to hang on to that. It's comfort. It also guards what it is that I say because it's already been filtered by me reading through it. That means I know, at least within my understanding, I'm theologically correct. I make sense. All my transitional statements are nice and neat in place, and I bring it along, well, this Sunday, we're going off script. (laughs) The script that's at home, not completed. The transitions didn't happen. It's like, I am not going to put those four people through this. So I pray that God watches what I say, because if I'm going off script, who knows what might come out of my mouth. So hang on, we are continuing our 52 Greatest Stories um, series. It's, it's our year-long series. Again, if you haven't got a chance to pick up the book, encourage you to do that. Check online um, or even up at the Christian bookstore. Maybe they can order it for you because the church has none left. That's a huge testimony. I think we got 30 copies, 25 or 30 copies. I can't remember what it was. We don't have a copy left. And that is incredible that that many people want to be engaged with the Word of God. I don't know if you saw in your bulletin that there is Barna Group, um, which is a well-known organization that does research um, and surveys and stuff, um, has invited the Assemblies of God to participate in their Bible engagement survey. And and I thought about that and how engaged our church is becoming in the Word of God. Now, you might only be reading the uh, 52 Greatest Stories, but at least you're getting Scripture to some degree, and I hope it picks your interest to dig in deeper into the Word of God and engage with the Bible reading plan as well. But I want to encourage you to to participate in that because the reality is, is we do live in a time where biblical literacy is very low. And, And I want our church... Um, to grow in biblical literacy. I'm not going to be able to give you everything on a Sunday morning, especially in a week like 
I just had for whatever reason. Um, And so I want you to be able to read the Word of God for yourself. And it is a challenge that knowing that many of you are reading the Word of God that I'm going to speak on. You're also reading this weekly devotional that I'm, you know, also reading and maybe speaking from. And I'm like, wow. But I pray that God is using all of those different means to help you understand in a greater way who he is and and how much he loves you. So as we continue our 52 greatest stories, um, we are in uh, shifting, shifting gears to some degree in that we're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but also that we... It, it is actually still a continuum. A couple of weeks ago, we had the, the scarlet thread. In other words, it, Scripture continues on this line. It's the same message throughout. It's about Jesus. That's the big picture of the Word of God. It's all pointing to Jesus. But we also had, um, back in January, I believe it was, where um, the Israelites... Um, really experienced the first Passover when God had told them to to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, uh, butcher it, take the blood with the hyssop leaves and, and put it above the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over that house. He would see the righteousness of God and, and, and that family would be saved. We also saw that... Um, that uh, Abraham had been given, it was actually in January we saw Abraham given the promise. It was a little later that we saw the, the Passover. But with Abraham, he was given the promise that, that nations would be blessed through him as his lineage continued. The, when they were uh, doing the uh, Passover, that's when God had said, this is a commemorative thing. I want you to do this annually. And so it became the most popular celebration, the most popular festival for the Israelites. And this is kind of where we're going to continue on, even in today's message, is that this, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, is that they are celebrating the Passover. And I thought about that as how the, the story line that we've been following has just kind of continued. And we're seeing the fulfillment in our passage today of a lot of things that we've already covered. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was King David, that his his lineage was always going to be on the throne. And, And here we are. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. Now you think about what's the most popular holiday in in our nation. I'm not talking specifically the church. I'm talking our culture. It's Christmas. And everybody's scurrying around, getting those last-minute things done and whatnot leading up to Christmas. Well, that's where it was when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Everybody's scurrying around. The excitement is great, and they're trying to get things done before the Passover on Friday. And so in that, they're purchasing, you know, the the lamb or having their lamb inspected. They're changing their money into temple money because you can't have coins with idols on them. 
Now, has anybody ever taken out a $20 bill and worshipped? Who was it, Jackson? Was Jackson on the $20 bill? I can't remember. You know, see, that that's my point. Who? It's a dead president. <laughs> well, they had Caesar on their money, and, and in that, the, the, the temple uh, priests didn't want those, that kind of money coming in. They had to change it over, which, of course, included a fee. And so there's all this, this corruptness going on at this time. And that's what Jesus walks into here. Well, he doesn't actually walk into it. He rides into it. So let's turn in our Bibles, if you have them with you, to Matthew chapter, or yeah, Matthew chapter 21. Of course, we have the uh, scriptures up on the screen as well. And we're going to start with verse 1. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there and with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around them, him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was, up in, was in uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You can start to see the fulfillment if you've got a study Bible, maybe you looked it up and you saw that this is a fulfillment of a couple of prophecies. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that's where um, the Matthew took uh, verse 5, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy that Jerusalem's king would come on a donkey. The praise God for the son of David comes from Psalm 118. It's, it's just amazing how all these prophecies come together. But the people, of course, they knew, most of them knew, the Jews knew those prophecies. But Jesus didn't fulfill the kind of king that they were looking for. They wanted somebody to restore King David's reign. A time where Israel was prosperous and powerful. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was going to be a king of a kingdom that was unseen. We see the effects of God's kingdom 
but we can't actually see God's kingdom. And so in that, Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they wanted, and so quickly, of course, we know that the people were disillusioned and turned away. People are still asking the question, who is this? Who is this Jesus? You know, and as I tried to put this message together this week, you know, with all of the different pieces, if you look through the the readings from this week from our, our Bible reading plan, It really explains a lot about who Jesus is and that, yes, he is the king. And him coming into Jerusalem as a humble king is, is a foreshadowing of him returning as king because we know someday he's coming back. And there's no, no other prophecy that needs to be fulfilled in order for him to return. And so we want to be ready. We want people to be ready as well. And that's why we want to continue to share the good news, even at the expense of becoming a target of the enemy. We want to share the good news. We want people to know the answer of who Jesus is. Yes, he is king. King of kings. He's also Lord of lords. And this is where sometimes people get a little tripped up. Jesus had said um, to the Israelite leaders, the, the, the priests, the religious leaders, he had said something about the cornerstone, that many had rejected the cornerstone. And if any of you have done any building or whatnot, you know that you need to have a, a square building. You need to have a something to start your squareness off from. And, and since they laid so much foundation with stone back then, that's why... They use the illustration of the cornerstone. That's where everything got measured off of to keep it square. And that's what Jesus is saying, that we're to consider him the cornerstone for our lives, that everything gets squared up with who he is. In the word of God, we, we look at the life that Jesus lived, and he is the word of God, so we look at all of scripture. How does our life line up with him? And I hope you're tracking with me this morning. Like I said, it's, I don't know what God wants to say through me. But I do pray that we do take that seriously because the religious leaders were falling into that they were thinking about it all about being religion instead of relationship. It was about them saying the right things, but they weren't living it right on the inside. And Jesus called them out a lot on that in his last days. In fact, um, if you look at his itinerations for his last week, I should have said the, the title's message for this week is one, one Week to Live. Because that's what the author was looking at, is what was Jesus doing that last week of his life? And his itineration went something like this. Saturday, he arrives in Bethany. Sunday, he has that triumphant entry that we read about. Monday, he withers the fig tree and cleanses the table, or the temple. 
His cleansing the temple, of course, was in righteous anger against those that were, of course, um, charging extra for lambs, also, of course, charging extra for the temple tax and converting the money. And then listen to Tuesday's day. It was his last day at the temple. His authority was challenged by the Sanhedrin. He told the parable of the two sons, the vineyard and the marriage feast. He was questioned about the tribute to Caesar and the resurrection and which was the greatest commandment. He was questioned at how David's son could be his Lord. He met with certain Greeks that desired to see him. He gave the fearful denunciation of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus also took time to observe the widow's mites. He had his final departure from the temple. He gave his great discourse on the Mount of Olives. He talked about the destruction of Jerusalem and his coming. He told the parable of the ten virgins and the talents and the final judgment scene. He did all of that on Tuesday. And when I read through that, I thought, and I get a little bent out of shape sometimes when I have to prepare just one message. (laughs) And I think about all that Jesus had told in just that one day. And you think, wow, what did he do the next day? Well, let's turn to our companion book, which I should have marked my page and read what the author said. It says, The whole week was full of overflowing pregnant with meaning and import. It would get even heavier as it moved toward the grand finale. The brooding tone of Thursday's evening meal, the somber sound of devastating loss that was that Friday afternoon, the silent and uncertain pause that was Saturday, the internally resonating major chord of victory that was Sunday morning. But before he got there, it appears that Jesus took Wednesday off. Nothing is recorded about his whereabouts or activities. Perhaps he was making plans with the cryptic man who appeared to Peter and John carrying a water jug. Perhaps he was watching Judas wrestle with the demons that would prompt him to do his dastardly deed. Perhaps he spent the day praying and gathering his thoughts. Regardless, it's instructive that Jesus chose to do nothing with one of his last days that the biblical writers deemed noteworthy. Because here we see another pattern in Jesus' life. He observed a rhythm of work and rest. He plunged himself headlong into ministry, working from sunup to sundown, healing, teaching, feeding, and touching. And then he withdrew from the crowds, carving out time for rest and solitude. Then once more into the breach, he charged, only to retreat again when he felt it was time for a little R&R. There are some personality types who are particularly prone to working all the time. If there's work to be done, one person who hasn't heard the good news about Jesus or someone in the hospital that hasn't been visited, these people are on the go. They say things like, I can rest when I'm with the Lord, or I'd rather burn out than rust out. Either way, you're out. So we're not sure why either is an acceptable option. 
For those of us who are more likely to work, 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 it's important to see that Jesus at this point had only a few dozen hours left on this earth and he chose to rest. He took the day off. One of the reasons why taking a day off is so important is that it forces you to remember that everything isn't dependent upon you. Like Jesus, you have a Father in heaven who is constantly at work. The assurance of this is what makes rest possible. And then the author goes on to say, Jesus could have been brought or could have been uptight and fussy, gathering his disciples for late night cram sessions all week long, but he knew that the helper would come and do his work in time. Jesus would do what he could and leave the rest up to his Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's how Je- the way Jesus lived, do you suppose you could try to get some rest this weekend? <laughs> that kind of spoke to my heart. Sometimes I think we do have a tendency to think that we're responsible for a whole lot more than what we really are, and we should be letting God do um, what he wants to do and us maybe not trying to do as much as we are doing. And I definitely uh, fell into that this last couple of weeks But I think about how this particular passage or or excerpt from our book speaks about Jesus' humanity in that he did need to take time to rest. And it demonstrates that while Jesus is fully God, he is also fully man. And Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 Say this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that could take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That alone, with Jesus coming in as king, he was also coming in as a sacrificial lamb the perfect sinless lamb of God. He was able to take the sins of the world when he died on the cross because he had lived that perfect life, but he was also human, so it qualified him to be our substitution, our propitiation, if you want to get technically theological about it. But in being the sacrificial lamb, he became our savior, dying on the cross. And that's what we want to remember is that all of Scripture is putting this piece or this this puzzle, this big picture together of how amazing God is. And I want us to be able to reflect on that this holy week that God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us so that we might have eternal life that we would be set free and sometimes people think that that means we're set free from death and that's true we are 
but we can also be set free from a lot of other baggage that we've collected along the way. And so as we reflect this week during Holy Week, may our hearts just want to praise God out of gratitude. It was a great celebration um, that the Passover was because it was a celebration of what God had done in setting the people free. Think how much more we should be celebrating God setting us free from sin and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Lord, I know that you're doing some things here in this church that we can't even fully see yet because, Lord, we know that we have stirred up the interest of the devil. And, Lord, I know that he is pushing back. But, Lord, I know that you're much more powerful and that we can stand on your word, we can stand in your truth and who we are in you. Lord, we need not be afraid, but, Lord, we may rejoice, Lord, that you are doing a new thing here in Hill City through this church. Lord, continue to give us courage. But, Lord, we also ask that you would help us to reflect this week on just how amazing you are. Lord, that you would love us so much. You would send your son, the perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb, fully God, fully human, to die on the cross for us, the only way possible for our salvation. God, we thank you. May we rejoice and reflect this week. And Lord, may it stir in our hearts not only gratitude, but Lord, may it also remind us that we want to align our lives with you, that we want to live according to your perfect plan. Because that's what your son did. His last week wasn't filled with doing things on the bucket list. It wasn't selfishly squirreling away. He knew that he was there to fulfill your will. Lord, may it be the same of us. No matter how many days that we have, may we seek to fulfill your will and give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.